A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Davis Cup special, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Tennis Weekly are courtside for Denmark, India. Team GB and USA win away. And we sit down for an exclusive with world number nine, Holger Rune. Chris, today is the 6th of February and we are here for a Davis Cup special at Tennis Weekly HQ. Coming off the back of the Australian Open, we are into Davis Cup qualifying. We've had GB away to Colombia, USA away to Uzbekistan, and we've had lots of other ties as well. France, Hungary, Croatia, Austria, Germany, Switzerland. But of course, the big tie was in the playoff round, Denmark versus India you were present for it how did it go well I I was in world group one and it was um the stakes couldn't be higher one of these teams was going to be relegated out of India and Denmark and it was at home Mm. for the Danes uh as a a Danish resident here um it was the perfect opportunity to to go and speak to the teams um and get the perspective of um how Holger's doing um how he's developing I think it was um a great opportunity for Tennis Weekly to get courtside. I mean, it was very exciting because we do have coming up in this episode interviews with Holger Rune, Rohan Bapana and Tennis Weekly favourite, well, I should say Tennis Weekly favourite, Kim's favourite, Freddie Nielsen of all people, who I, I believe you had a bit of a, a laugh and a bit of banter with. Yeah, I think that was the key um, objective I had from Kim was to find Freddie <laughs> yes. and I think maybe we hadn't all fully realised I definitely realised that he was the Danish captain so it wouldn't be too hard to find him because he'd be playing a very <laughs> prominent role in the tie but no in um, Impress we had uh, some very interesting chats and I think it's interesting to see that he'd quite, he we said he quite liked to uh, quite like to draw the Brits at some point so that's some fighting talk and maybe Ooh, that would fighting talk. that would question yes. Kim's loyalty towards him well, I wonder what Kim thinks of that. We'll, uh, we'll have to ask her on our next tour catch-up, which will be coming next week. But yeah, you were there. You are at the tie um, as part of, of media. Very special thanks to the Danish Tennis Federation for that. What was your thoughts going into the tie? You know, you, I think, managed to catch up with Holger on press day before the match got underway. How was that experience for you? Yeah, it was the first time I've been to one of the draw ceremonies, which uh, I think is, it's a slightly unusual one because they, um, they're only drawing, I mean, it's four matches, pretty much five total. And the lineups change almost Im- immediately after that when it comes to seeing who's going to play on that second day. So there's a lot of ceremony around it. Uh, there's a lot of press attention there because obviously Holger is a superstar in Denmark. Um, so I think people were slightly confused as to why there was a, a Brit at the India-Denmark uh, tie. Um, 
But no, there was a great atmosphere and great excitement <laughs> because this was the biggest event that uh, Denmark has had for for tennis in, I think, three three years. And there's not currently an ATP or a WTA event here at the moment. So this was all eyes on uh, Hillerod where the, the match was being played. But yeah, it was great. And we got to co- uh, speak to Holger beforehand. Uh, got to ask him some questions about his game. We got to ask him how he's feeling kind of playing for his country. Uh, and how he's feeling about kind of looking forward to the Olympics in 2024. So I think we can hear some of that now. Okay, so firstly, we're going to say how great is it to be playing in Denmark, having probably not spent that much time here in the last year, and maybe I'm not sure if your off-season was here or you were somewhere else. I was somewhere else, so it's really good to be back to to play in front of the full Danish crowd tomorrow, and uh, I'm super excited. We have a good uh, time on the team, you know, all the guys seems ready, and I'm ready too, so it's going to be hopefully a great match, and I'm super pumped for it. Uh, we were in Stockholm where you won the title, obviously, uh, and one of the key takeouts from that is that we didn't see there were many weaknesses in your game. We were wondering, from your perspective, is there a part of your game you're working on particularly or you think you could improve significantly? I'm working a lot on my surf um, to hire the first serve percentage. I think it's very important because, you know, all the guys on the tour, when you put in a good first serve, you have a very good chance to mm-hmm. win the point. So that's what I'm working on. And, you know, just all the other things, it's important to try to improve every time you, you step on the court. And same with the mental and the physical stuff. Try to improve 1% every day. Um, if you had kind of gone even further in Australia, would you have still kind of made the Davis Cup tie the priority to come back and play? Or... Was there kind of a, a change in plans? I would have come and play um, as well because it, it was planned and I was super pumped and excited to, to come back home to Denmark and play. And, uh, you know, it's going to be great. <laughs> no matter how, how good I did in Australia, I was going to play. Yeah. Uh, we had a few questions from our listeners and one of them was whether kind of the Olympics is a big goal of yours and playing for Denmark there. It is. I'm, I'm super excited for it. It's going to be next year, 2024, mm-hmm. in Paris. Uh, I always played great in Paris and... Uh, I'm excited for it. It's a great event. As a kid, I've been dreaming about it as well, so it's a sooner reality. Um, in terms of this match being played on indoor hard courts, which surface do you think kind of suits your game best, um, and which surface do you think you're most likely to have kind of some of the, the your best results on? I think hard court and clay. Um, still have to get some more experience on grass, but still I feel like my game, the aggressive game style I have, is is good for grass, and I move well. I just have to practice more on it and get used to it, and I'm, I think I can be as good as I'm on hard court and clay. And then the final question is also from a listener who asked if there was kind of a piece of advice that you were given last year that was really kind of important to kind of changing how your season um, went, if there's something that particularly uh, stood out to you from uh, advice you've been given. Not just one, it's a lot. uh, But yeah, I mean, just basically every day you go on court, stay focused, keep uh, your game playing, keep going on the right path because one day you'll you'll reach uh, as good as you can be. Just stay focused. Exactly, stay focused. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Good luck. It's very interesting hearing from Holger Rune there on lots of different aspects. I just want to say it's actually great, I think, to see players of his quality take Davis Cup seriously and play these ties, even though it can feel like it comes up in opportune moments, you know, the jet lag all the way coming over from Australia, but the opportunity to play in front of your home crowd is you know it's genuinely special and um you know in these moments i feel like there's a you know there's a great vibe and there's a, a great atmosphere now talking about you know the things that you spoke to him about you were quick to kind of talk to him specifically about his game and the areas he wants to work on and i think he mentioned his his first serve in particular and how he thinks that's such a a crucial um you know weapon that 
just every tennis player on the ATP tour needs to have at the moment. Um, did that take you by surprise or were you a little bit like it's just a fundamental thing that all aspiring tennis players on the ATP tour need to have in their locker? Yeah, I, I wasn't necessarily surprised by the answer. I think when you look at his backhand and you look at mm. his forehand, they're such good weapons. His movement is exceptional. So the serve does make perfect sense to me unless he was really trying to kind of move up the court a bit more, which doesn't necessarily seem to be his game style. What was interesting about um, what happened after this conversation is that you could see that he was definitely trying to work on some aspects of his game, almost try things out whilst the the stakes were slightly lower, not necessarily in terms of the pressure of playing in front of your home crowd, but the opponent's rankings from India were not particularly mm. high. So I think he was going for his first serve a bit more and also going for a second serve a bit more. So there were more double faults, but I think it was actually the perfect opportunity for him to try some things out on serve. Um, and so kind of after he said this and then looking at how we played, I think it's pretty clear that the serve is his key focus area right now. And I said to him, there aren't really weaknesses in his game. And I think um, it's just about improving that serve. And then he's already a pretty scary prospect as the only person to beat Djokovic since he returned to the tour. So there's not much to work on, is there? I mean, he was so unlucky. He was so unlucky, I think, again, in that Rublev match at the Australian Open. Who knows? Yeah, who knows where that that could have taken him. And, um, you know, something that I was was surprised by, and I I did not know, even as an ardent and passionate tennis fan, I did not realise how important Davis Cup is to the Olympic cycle. Um, You know, we've got Paris coming up. Tennis players, of course, want to represent their country in Paris. And in order to do that, you need to put Davis Cup, you know, in your agenda and your calendar year in order to in order to kind of get the the entry requirements to play the Olympics. Yeah, I think you've got to play a number of times prior to and in the couple Mm. of seasons prior to the Olympics uh, taking place. So I think it's something where it's almost a hygiene factor for players to make sure that you are playing. So I think, for example, we've seen Tommy Paul play for the USA, but then Fritz wasn't there. TFO wasn't playing. They have obviously played for them uh, towards the, the back end of last year, but they will need to play in the finals, for example, to make sure they are able to be um, kind of selected. Uh, it's rare that players wouldn't be selected, but I think that's why we've seen so many top players such as Sitsipas play the final of the AO and then he's in Greece playing. I know, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, the turnaround is, it's, it's very commendable. I know, obviously there are, various kind of motives but to do that um to go from that environment to another environment i know that the the big incentive is to play in front of your your home crowd and and i think you see you know in denmark uh, also in greece you just don't get that many opportunities at the moment arguably i think you know you see these great ties happen and i think why why aren't there more um or at least like one atp level or wta level event on the tour in that country yeah and we asked this to another one of the players um august who played the second singles and i think they talked about the fact that there were so many of these sort of smaller events in the usa and and i think bob parner actually mentioned it um who you'll hear from Mm. in a minute who said about kind of ben shelton who hadn't actually left the usa prior to you know having his incredible run in australia but he was able to get the ranking up so i think it's one of those things where having players who are achieving a lot of success is really an opportunity for the infrastructure and for the tennis federation to be able to put on events like the danish tennis federation were able to do that really ups the profile and potentially could get um and kind of set them on the path to getting one of those prestigious wta or atp events in the future now you spoke to him about court surfaces and he, he was saying he thinks his best surface is, is hard court and clay 
but you know he doesn't feel like he's had enough time on the grass yet though he thinks he can be very you know a, a threat on it where where do you stand on on Holger Rune going into the you know the grass court season later in the year if he's working on his first serve that's going to obviously help him on, on on a grass court do you see grass being maybe a, a surface he can thrive on in the future I mean, there's no reason why he wouldn't be able to based on the game that he has, mm. especially seeing him play in the doubles. I mean, he had some unbelievable hand skills. So I think he has all the weapons, all the right uh, kind of pieces um, of his game to, to do some real damage on grass. I think it's the balance will be about playing, making sure he plays aggressive tennis, because if you do kind of slip it to some of those clay court mentalities, I do think that that's where we see some clay quarters not necessarily get their best results. But an interesting piece of information as someone who has been playing tennis in Denmark recently, um, I think the reason why Holger is so good indoors and then on clay is because that's actually how Danish tennis is set up. So in the spring, in the summer, you play on clay and then you go indoors because the weather's so cold and you play on indoor hard. Mm. Um, so I think that's kind of why his best results have come on the indoor hard courts and on clay. So I think um, it's probably just because he hasn't had that much experience on grass, like he said. So there's no reason why it can't be a great um, surface for him in the future. Yeah, and I think you know, he's, he's got the definitely the right you know, mentality in the approach. And I love his talk about staying focused and I, I do genuinely kind of look at him and watch him on tv and i just think he just he just loves tennis and he just consumes it like like fans do 24 7 and i think you need that focus when you've got you're competing with you know the very best in the world but also players like novak djokovic rafael nadal do you think this is a thing that is just common throughout these kind of next generational type players like Holger Aruna, where, you know, they're growing up in this era that's just like super competitive and as a result, they're going to need to be switched on right from, you know, right from the get-go? Or do you feel like this is unique specifically to Holger Aruna? I think he's definitely very, very focused and he is obsessed with the game. Mm. Um, I think the only player that I've kind of seen who's had the similar levels of sort of obsession with the game is Leda Fernandez, who really is a student of the game as well. And we learned a lot about that mm, on her... Um, part of the US Open final that he she studies matches she watches matches in her free time like old older matches that have been been played in the past and I think that's definitely something when you've seen some of the players that um, Holger's now playing when he's been watching those matches and studying those matches and he lives and breathes the game I think it really does help you stay focused because you don't kind of get distracted at things outside of that um, and I do think potentially seeing how the, the next gen, um, the mid gen, the current gen, I always, I always call it the wrong name, but I think they've been a bit distracted <laughs> at times by some of the, the fame and celebrity of things. And I think he's super grounded and super focused. And um, I think it sets you up in a, in a great place to be able to kind of maximize what you can do on the tennis court. I mean, just to play devil's advocate here, is there an argument to say you could be too focused? Because I know you just said Leila and Leila Fernandez, which I think is very interesting because when I hear very, very focused, I think on the men's tour, Andre Rublev, who I think, yeah, he wants it so... I, I just feel like when I watch no him, like wants he wants it, it so badly. Mm. But actually, it, it, it sort of gets... It sort of controls him and, and possesses him in a way that doesn't necessarily help his game. So... I, I'm not so I don't feel like Runa is is um sort of negatively channels it like maybe I think Rublev 
sort of does at the moment but do you think there is an argument to say like with being too focused you just need to still you know watch yourself and, and channel that energy positively well interestingly freddie said after the tie when it came to selecting who was going to play in the doubles that even though the indian mm. team was more experienced he couldn't even suggest the idea like the idea that they might be the underdogs in that would be alien to holger that of course they were going to win it and they should and they can win it and they'd be expected to win it so i think there's kind of being um kind of too focused um, and kind of too determined to do something uh, and that inhibiting you. But I think the self-belief is the thing that makes me think that it's actually not inhibiting for Holger in the same way that I think that at times you see the frustration boil over um, from Rublev and you just see that he wants it too much and it brings out sort of a side of his character that isn't really um, typical for him and doesn't get the best out of him. But I think there is this sort of bubbling under sort of... um, belief that not everyone has that self-assured confidence like a Yelena Ostapenko oh I'd love to get an Ostapenko reference in but you know I think that she thinks on any given <laughs> day she can there. beat anyone I think it's the same with Holger <laughs> um and so I think maybe mm. that is um a comparison I'll allow you to make but I think right now it's definitely not a problem I think if the results don't come like same with Rublev for example that if he doesn't make the semi or final or a win at Grand Slam level or at Masters level then I think it does start to, to take a toll on you mentally. But right now, he's, he's, I mean, he's 19. He's already won a Masters. And so I think his trajectory is quite different um, from kind of Rublev in that comparison. Yes, absolutely. And a player on the kind of other, <laughs> on the opposite end of the age kind of spectrum. 42 years old. I know, right? And uh, on the opposite, uh, opposite team uh, to Denmark, on the India side, And they were led by Rahan Bapana, who got to the Australian Open Mixed Doubles final with Sanya Mertzer. Um, We also caught up with him before the tie, and here's what he had to say. So you had a really quick turnaround from the Australian Open, going all the way to the finals, to then coming here to Denmark. Um, When did you you land, and what have you been up to? Um, Yeah, first of all, uh, very happy to be in Denmark. It's been uh, a long time since, uh, you know, I've been to Denmark. I think 97, I'd come for a junior tournament. Um, But yeah, right after the final, the following day, I took a flight. It took me about 30 hours to uh, fly here to Denmark. And, uh, you know, I got here on Sunday. the 29th so I think that the entire 28th somewhere I missed out uh, but still uh, I think the toughest part was uh, not only flying but uh, going from 30 degrees to uh, 2 degrees you know so that uh, the body took a, a little bit of uh, shock and the second day I think uh, is when the jet lag really hit me and I went uh, went to sleep at like 8pm uh, and I woke up at 6am so that was you uh, much now. needed <laughs> yeah much needed yeah. Uh, one of those days and uh, but yeah happy to be uh, in Denmark Mark, and any time you get a chance to, I think, represent your country, it's always, I think, the first uh, priority as an athlete. So I'm really happy to be back in the team and, uh, you know, uh, playing for India. You say kind of going from different temperatures. Um, how have you found being here in February? Were you here in February last time? Was it warmer when you were here last? Were you in the summer when you were here with, in 97, did you say? Yeah, in 1997, yeah. I was in the, very much during the summer. Uh, it's know, a bit different. It was very, very different. And uh, uh, to be honest, my skin is not made for this kind of weather. <laughs> so I'm just staying indoors as much as possible. Uh, the maximum I'm stepping out is from to go from the tennis court to the hotels. That's about it. Otherwise, I'm happy just staying indoors. 
Did you get any warning that it was going to be cold? Do you have winter jackets? Actually, I, of course I knew it was uh, going to be cold, but the plans changed since from uh, Melbourne. I came straight here. I was supposed to go home to back in India, get my warm stuff and come here, but then I ended up coming straight here. So uh, thankfully we're playing indoors. So, yes. you know, t- totally fine, uh, you know, with that. Absolutely. Um, you had a great result, reached the final, obviously, in Australia with Sanya. Um, a few words about the fact that she said it was 22 years since you first played together uh, at a Grand Slam, and then 22 years later, you're in the final again in her last Grand Slam. Uh, how was that for you? I think it's extremely, extremely special. I mean, especially we just have a handful of players coming from uh, India, so to be still be able to represent a country and play at a big stage, play a Grand Slam final and uh, you know Sunny has been such a great inspiration to uh, so many people not only just in tennis but mm. uh, across the country mm. and, and, and the globe and uh, so I think uh, I was really excited to play with her and uh, in the in December she asked me when we were in Dubai whether I wanted to play with mixed doubles with her and I jumped on the opportunity I said yes absolutely I would love to uh, you know be a partner especially mm. I knew she was uh, going to be a last Grand Slam and I think we were just enjoying and playing our tennis uh, and you know Playing together for so long, I think one of those close matches also yeah. you know, coming through that, and of course uh, it would have been a fair tale ending to you know uh, win the title. But uh, you know, having said that, I think we are really happy that uh, we got. A yeah, you know, play so many matches, mm. and uh, everyone uh, back home in India got to watch that. And I think anytime I feel there's people watching mm. or kids watching, that's yeah. when you can inspire someone. And I think uh, you know, I think that's the biggest thing for us. And uh, you know, I wish Sanya all the best for her. Yeah, you know, rest of her career. I think she has a long uh, career ahead uh, in whatever she does. But I think it's uh, really fantastic that I got an opportunity to play with her. Yeah, it was um, it was great to see. And I think we all had our fingers crossed that you'd win that final. So, true, but yeah. still. It's amazing to have made it to the final and have your last Grand Slam match be a final for her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to ask, there's been great success in the doubles court for India. Um, how far away do you think we are from an Indian singles Grand Slam uh, finalist or even kind of winner? I think right now with uh, the big three playing, a lot of the countries are far away from yeah, you know, winning. Yeah, equally far. Yeah, so I think... Uh, no, but India, we don't really have a structure, to be honest. Mm. I think that just needs to be... St- uh, you know, we need to start a structure for having junior program, have tournaments there, uh, and you know, then we can look at maybe having a chance of mm. somebody uh, representing, mm. uh, you know, uh, in singles, and then maybe having a chance mm. to win a Grand Slam title. I think we're still very, very uh, long way uh, from that, uh, but but you never know. I mean, it is quite possible. It just needs a good direction yes. and a good uh, structure and a lot more tournaments in the country. I mean. Um, I was reading this uh, story about Ben Shelton who made it to top 100 and first time he left uh, yeah. uh, the, the country, the US. Uh, so that's when I was reading about mm. it, I was thinking that I wish India had some so many tournaments that you could play and mm. you know not even leave the country. Yeah. You and know, be so top the, fifty. Yeah, so here there's an opportunity for him to stay in the country and still able to do that. So you know the first thing is to have that kind of tournaments in the country and then see whether somebody from there can have a chance to you know play the grand slam level and then after that you know try and uh, win uh, single styles thanks so much and good luck in thank the time so thank, you. thank you so chris i absolutely love with papana that he spoke about going from melbourne which was like 30 degrees to denmark which i think he said was around like two three degrees i didn't realize it was that cold in denmark at the moment it's really cold and it got colder 
And as, as I was walking, because it's just outside Copenhagen where we were, and as I was walking there, I thought, this must be really alien. Like whether the players have been playing in India before or in Melbourne, mm. this must be a real shock to the system because I've been living here. It, it's given me like visuals of, of like the Jamaican bobsleigh team in Cool Runnings when they... They get to Calgary and they're just like, oh, I need to go to a shop and buy all the warm clothes um, that, that, that are in there possible. Well, you got a feel for Papana that he didn't get a chance to get his winter coat <laughs> on his way over. So Denmark without a winter coat, I almost felt like I should bring one the next day for him. I've got a spare. But um, but no, I think it was great hearing um, hearing about some of the things like that when it comes to Davis Cup. Like, I'm sure there'll be some interesting cultural shocks when it comes to, and like weather shocks when it comes to, someone from California being in Uzbekistan, for example. I think there will be some similar parallels maybe, but um, it was so nice sort of hearing about the Sanya, um, the Sanya partnership mm. and the fact that it was... Yeah, to share that story is really nice, isn't it? Yeah, an immediate yes, you know, and I think um, the chemistry on court is something that definitely, even though they might not be, you know, 22 years younger, they were still able to, to, to kind of challenge players that physically might be kind of nearer their prowess. So... Um, that was super nice. But I also love the fact that when it came to when there might be an in, uh, Indian singles finalist, that I think you can look at the the finalists from other countries. And there haven't been many countries who've had a men's singles finalist recently because of the dominance of the big three. So I thought that was quite a good way of answering the question because we're all a bit far from it this year. If you look at who we're predicting to win all the Grand Slams. I mean, does it does it surprise you, though? Because, uh, you know, you think about India in terms of just their their population and and how massive that is does it surprise you that they seem to have a a legacy and a history in particular with doubles uh, with players like Bapana I grew up watching you know Mahesh Bhupati and and Max Murnyi um on the on the, on the doubles circuit you got Leander Pays as well what what is it about singles that I know they've they've had players in the past you know for example y- Yuki Bambri's not not a bad player but What's what is it about singles? Is, is it just like it's it's just harder and it's it's more competitive than than doubles? What what do you think is a, is it about singles that is a real stumbling block? I feel for for Indian tennis. Well, Papana talked about that there isn't the infrastructure there, and I think that is definitely um, one of the big biggest issues there. The infrastructure and funding potentially, I think, could be could be the challenge there. I mean, Yuki Bambri, who played in this tie and, and did play very well in his singles against Holger, he's actually a former junior number one who won the 2009 Australian Open Junior Championship. So that's something that um, kind of is something you, you, can, you can forget that there is that kind of junior talent when I think it is potentially more on just your raw talent and your, your ability to play the game before a lot more of the strength and conditioning, a lot more of the, the physicality and some of the, the, the experience you get from being more of a tennis nation so to speak um comes through unless you have kind of an exceptional individual setup or kind of a personal wealth situation you know for example like the pagula or someone like that where you know you don't necessarily rely on funding so i think it is it's probably down to that but i mean um there's no reason why that can't happen and based on the tennis that we saw i think there's a as even though it might not be Mm. in the top echelons of tennis um there was some great tennis on display at the weekend yeah, it was, uh, it was a great match. And actually, we're going to take a quick break now, but we're going to be back in the second half where we're going to have part two of our interview with Holger Rune. We're also going to be chatting about the general tie as well. Also, Great Britain's victory against Colombia, plus all the other ties. So don't go anywhere. It's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to talking about the performances and the results, Chris, that you watched in the Denmark tie. India slumped to a 3-1 defeat. From looking at it on, you know, from the, the report, it sounds like it was pretty much the, the whole Garuna show. And he certainly lived up to the billing defeating Banbury uh, in the Sigils on day one, 6-2, then teaming up with Ingleson to defeat Bapana and Banbury in the doubles and then finishing the tie-off, defeating Nagal in straight sets. Where for you did this, this tie rest on? Because I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit surprised. I guess Bapana and Banbury weren't maybe more competitive in that, that doubles match given their prowesses and I think the, the amount of familiarity they have with their games potentially versus the the doubles pairing which which to me felt a little bit more of like a scratch pairing given you know that, that came in because Nagal defeated Holmgren um on day one yeah so I think um you can read and I, I felt the same I thought that the tie that India was most likely to get was definitely the doubles um maybe Bopana was still a bit chilly obviously he didn't have a coat so that could have been partly affecting it but <laughs> no I think um They've actually been doing a lot of work with um, Ingleson is what, what I what I learned from Freddie, that they've actually been preparing him because they knew that what they need is for Holger to win three in each of their ties, really, mm. when it comes to the, the world group and when they're expected to peak in a couple of years. Yeah. So he's been prepped very much. That's a tough ask, isn't it, for a player, I feel, of... Um you know of his quality that's going to be going deep in in tour level tournaments then be like right Holger have that mentality that you're probably going to have to play you know three ties for our country in order in order for us to three win. times in 24 hours the first match he played was at 4 p.m and then he finished his singles before 4 p.m the following day after playing the doubles earlier that day so no matter how old you are that is a lot of pressure on the body especially because you'll be warming mm. up you'll be warming down you're in press there's a lot um a lot going on i think it is really impressive being able to kind of keep that composure and kind of get it done i think obviously if holger played well this was always going to be their tie i was quite pleased i have to admit that um nagal did get that first tie on day 1 because i did think that yeah. made it interesting yeah, you want an interesting close tie um so I did have to kind of... As the, as the one neutral there, I Well, imagine. I mean, I wasn't that neutral. Um, <laughs> but no, I think um, that was that was a key match. And I was really impressed with Nagal in terms of the questions that he posed to Holger. He got a lot of balls back. He was able to soak up a lot of that pace and actually, you know, um, 
put some pace on the ball himself and he was really, really impressive. So we'll see him rise up the rankings, I'm sure. But we always talk about this, Joel, when it comes to Davis Cup and the Billie Jean King Cup. Player selections can sometimes be um, really quite odd um, because I do think that with this one, I'm not sure I would have selected the players in the order that they played in this because India actually didn't play their top player um, until the dead rubber. So that was something that surprised me that they kind of went against the mm. form book. And I think they tried to go a bit more to um, upset and maybe surprise um, some of the players that, that, that might not be familiar with them. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was a bit surprising uh, that people wouldn't play their number one player until the dead rubber, especially when they've made the trip all the way to Denmark. Yeah, it was pretty surprising, I think, for Gunnarswaran not to play until the yeah the very end. So I don't know. If, I, I know I get that they might have tried to do some sort of strategy where Denmark may be thinking this is what the India team is going to be like, and they're going to do a a switch to maybe kind of disrupt that. But um, yeah, it didn't really pay dividends ultimately in the end, and it was the Holger Ruder show. And here is part two of his interview with Tennis Weekly. I was going to ask. Um... Firstly, in terms of it was the first time that you played, the uh, first time you played out there. Um, what was the atmosphere like? Um, describe playing in front of the home crowd today. It was an unbelievable feeling um, to have that many Danish uh, fans in, in your back when you're playing. It's, it's very special and something that we don't take for granted and something that we don't experience that often. Um, so unbelievable feeling and this is why Davis Cup is so fun when you can play in front of your, your country like that and even on, on television and a lot of people are watching and just brings a lot of attention to uh, Danish tennis which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, Holger, you look pretty comfortable out there in the doubles. Um, do you have any kind of aspirations to play some more doubles this year? I think a lot of the top players, yeah. Garcia had a lot of success last year with it and Kyrgios obviously last year in Australia. Is that something you're thinking about, or on occasion? Sometimes, <laughs> not not really. I mean, I like to keep the focus on singles, but at the same time, I enjoy I enjoy if the like chemistry is good. I enjoy to play doubles a lot, and I think Joe and I we had, you know, really good moment out there on the court. We supported each other, was backing each other up on, on the important moments, and um, you know, as I said, we we played super aggressive. We took our chances and and you know went for it, and it was fun and. As, as Joe also said, to, to play in front of this home crowd with this energy is, is something that's very special, you know. Even though I'm, I'm getting more used to playing in front of a lot of people, it's, it's a different feeling playing in front of your own, and, and this was really cool. Um, obviously, your captain is a bit of a doubles legend, having won Wimbledon. Um, how important was that in terms of the health that he gave you, because you were playing against a more experienced yeah. sort of doubles pair? Yeah. Um, talk, us through, talk us through that. Yeah, it was good. I mean, it's it feels you know great to have Fred Fred on the bench because you know he has this experience behind him and uh, he can give a, a few clues and a few tips here and there. And it's uh, you know you feel comfortable because you know how well he did and um, how much experience he also brings into this. So it was cool. I mean, all in all, great atmosphere, great energy. So I'm uh, super happy. Now, what's interesting, I think, Chris, is you spoke to him about doubles and we're going to get on to in a, in a bit GB in Colombia and, and Dan Evans and, and the doubles question. What was your kind of impression of, of Holger Runa's take on doubles given you know, he's going to be a, a top singles player 
for years to come where do you think kind of doubles uh lives lives in his life so i actually did when i asked him the question because i thought a lot of top players now like eager last season the season before she was playing quite a lot of doubles um it was also the case that garcia and kyrgios both won slams last year and it kind of we think led to a springboard to their success so seeing him play doubles i was kind of blown away by some of the volleys he was making it was it was as we said the whole garuna show but he would definitely be a top 10 doubles player if he was playing regularly in the tour. And I think seeing, you know, Bopan is ranked in the top 20, seeing someone like Holger play against him and, and Holger is so talented in all areas of the court. So I did ask him the question. I was hoping he might say that he maybe he'd play a couple of matches with Sitsipas every now and again, or maybe the odd, um, the odd doubles. Yeah, I was just trying to think who he would play, who he would play uh, with. Well, maybe... We can see him doing a bit of a bit of doubles sort of in the grass court season, you know, get some court time in case you go out early mm. in the singles. That yeah. might be a time we see it, but it's definitely not the plan, um, which is a shame because I think the more we get to see him play, the better. But I do understand that it, singles is such a physical game now that it doesn't necessarily make sense to put your body through that extra stress. Is he just happy to live in the shadow of Freddie Nielsen? Obviously, a, you know, a Wimbledon, <laughs> Wimbledon doubles Grand Slam champion he's, he's letting him have his still have his moment whilst he focuses on the singles I mean it could be that I think um, I think unfortunately <laughs> for Freddie and maybe even for kind of Wozniacki both slam champions but I think there is this expectation that Holger might be able to, to trump that I mean based on what we saw it was the fairy tale match with a fairy tale result and I think um, it just showed that if you're 19 and you're able to keep your composure in front of one of the biggest crowds he has played against and they're all Danish, all supporting him, all of the commitments in media. Yeah, that is big it's pressure. It's a lot of pressure and mm. he delivered. And even when he wasn't playing his best tennis, he found a way to win. So uh, I think Freddie might be safe on the doubles court, but I think in terms of the Grand Slam tally, you'd have to think that Holger, Holger might be coming for that record. <laughs> I mean, where does this, uh, just on, on finally on, on, on Runa, where do you think this leaves him, you know, for the rest of the season? Can he take much from this tie or, or do you feel this was more kind of just a great, great opportunity for him to get in front of his, his home crowd? And where do you see Denmark potentially going from here in, in Davis Cup? Do you feel like they could become um you know be in the uh the davis cup group finals at, at some point you know they've made it through the the playoff round i think they're maybe two matches away from that moment how far do you think they can go with this team and holgaruna and does it does it depend on if holgaruna turns up or not well last year they did play against india away and they lost four nil and holgaruna did not play mm. so i think that answers the question in terms yeah. of this is uh, the Holger Runa team but I think in terms of mm. how important this is I think it's really important to momentum and I think in terms of having country support behind you I think we've seen how much that helps players you know knowing that they are uh, supported by their teams at home and their countrymen uh, I think it also provides really nice momentum obviously he didn't need to play he's not going to get much from these matches beyond kind of the experience of playing um under kind of a great deal of pressure in front of a home crowd. He can work on a few things. But I think for him, it's just another positive thing that's happening on, on what will be a very positive season. And I think I've predicted for him to win. What was it? I think I put him to win um, Roland Garros. I didn't ask him about that because I thought maybe it might be a bit presumptuous. But um, <laughs> but no, I think, um, I think it's, it's a great stepping stone. And in terms of Danish tennis... 
I think the doubles pair really did impress me. I think Joe played great. Uh, and then I think Freddie's about to tell us that they, they played practicing, kind of training him up for that. We're going to play a bit of that in a second. But I think it is it is very much dependent on how the scheduling works out. Um, but do I think that with Holger, they can get to the world group? Absolutely. And would I want to play Denmark this time later in the year? Well, next, this year and, and next year and the year after when they might be peaking? I, I don't think that any country would fancy two singles robbers against Holger in a doubles where he'll be featuring... Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, we had an interview as well with the Denmark captain, Freddie Nielsen, and we're going to play you a bit of that now. Um, Freddie, how proud are you of the team today coming through and, and getting a win? Where do you think the match was won and lost? So most of all, I'm proud of the guys' uh, application and attitude. Uh, we're very process-oriented in, in our team and we don't uh, celebrate wins or mourn losses as such. We we celebrate how they're won and mourn how they're lost. And as always, I can't uh, fault the boys for anything. They've applied themselves uh, in an exemplary way all week, all practice, attitude, being there for each other, supporting, uh, performing in the highest manner. Uh, you could see Holger coming in as a top 10 player today and uh, playing an outstanding doubles and maybe not reaching the level he's used to in singles but still dug deep and, and, and did what he had to do to overcome an, uh, an opponent who, who did very well on the day and I think they're very uh, very good representatives of Danish tennis and that's what I'm most proud of because um, this was the biggest tennis occasion competitive tennis occasion in Denmark in I don't know how many years and uh, we got to show a, a, a national team in front of, uh, well, the match yesterday was played on the, on the number one channel, like our equivalent of BBC One. And we can present a, a, a team of young, good guys who represent themselves well, who are well-mannered and, and uh, represent the Danish flag uh, and their families and our team really well. And that's what I'm very proud of. Um, and final question. When it came to the doubles, obviously they're less experienced than the Indian team they played today. Um, what advice did you have before that? Kind of, was there anything from your doubles uh, career that you were able to kind of impart um, in terms of advice on the court today? Well, I'm a living uh, example of the fact that uh, there's not a long way to a big surprise in doubles. Uh, <laughs> it's much more evenly matched in doubles. And uh, you even saw now in Australian Open that a scratch team won as a wild card. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And so you talk about experience. I'll take quality over experience any time of the week and twice on Sunday. And when you have a player like Holger, who's top ten, and I've seen him play doubles before, and I know he's very com uh, competent. I mean, his his attributes are really good for doubles. He's a he's a good server. His serve is quite well uh, good for doubles because he's got a very good second serve. He's a g extremely good uh, uh, returns. And he's not shy at the net, so he doesn't hide as some singles players do. And he's a shot maker. He finds he finds uh, gaps in the opposition uh, um, defensive organization. So I had a really good feeling that they were going to complement each other well. I know Joe has played a few doubles matches in Davis Cup, and he's always performed well. And I thought they could be a good match, and they uh, they could have good energy. So. 
we had a few things about them, but mostly we were just focused on us and what we were going to do. Because I know that if you if you if you have the momentum in doubles and you feel the vibe, it it that's much more important than than any little tactical thing here and there. It it, it goes so quick, and you can also see that when they come out and get a, an early break in both sets, that pretty much set the tone. So um, yeah, I said it also before. It's, it's also a little bit about not ruining the rhythm as much and, and letting it flow themselves and uh, they had a pro- we, we knew in a long time ago that this was probably our number one doubles constellation and we've been prepping uh, Johannes for a long time for this normally he's an ad side player so we took a long time to to uh, get him more comfortable in the deuce and I actually think he's he looks more comfortable in the deuce and very competitive and he, he stepped up and did well so uh, they know each other from before. They used to practice. They have a good chemistry. So there, there, there wasn't that much need to prep. And when you have Holger, who is top ten, I mean, nothing is impossible for you. Don't have to convince him. Hey, you can win this match. You know, he's looking at me. Like, you know, if I said that to him, he would look at me like I'm a. What are you talking about? We can win this match. Of course, we, we're we're gonna win this match. So it, it's 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 about cultivating that and trying to install that mentality to the rest of the team because it's. It's uh, it's a great quality to have. Wish uh, the the favorite opponent for next time. I think they play Colombia. They play Colombia. It's one all after it's the not first thing. That well. No, and it's horrible conditions there. Massive altitude. Play with pressureless balls. It's not tennis. They're not. They're not happy with it. Yeah. So I think. Um, <laughs> But when we play you, <laughs> so that's an opportunity. That I mean, I like that. I like to play the two. No, so we we would like to play with some of the bigger nations. That's fun. I mean, we we in our mind, even though Holger is as good as he is now, we're we're not expected to peak for another few years. Mm-hmm. So any big experience we can have along the way, I think we can beat any nation. I mean, when you have Holger playing like this, from HPH qualifier. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for coming. So that was Freddie Nielsen, Denmark captain. I mean, he was obviously a great, um, you know, doubles player, Wimbledon Grand Slam champion with Johnny Murray. Interesting, Chris, to hear him talk about. uh, Yeah, Great Britain. He wants he wants to take on the rest of the world. It sounds like. Yeah, and he wants to start with some big names, is what he said. So it's fighting talk from Freddie, and I think um, I think he was eyeing up. I feel like that's the attitude you got to have. Right? I was a Davis Cup captain. If you're the, you're the challenger, Denmark are certainly in that challenger group, aren't they? To looking to upset the the established nations, I think, in in the tennis world. Yeah, and especially if there aren't those sort of tournaments in Denmark, it's a great chance when you play against some of these big names. You know, when would the Danish number 485 in the world get a chance to play against, you know, a Dan (laughs) Evans, a Cam Norrie, a Jack Draper? So it's those experiences that you can't necessarily get on the tour until you've really got your ranking up. So I understand why he's kind of shooting for the moon and trying to really kind of get that... um, kind of get that uh that danish team to play against some of the top names well we'll see how they will get on over the next few years i guess it'll be really interesting to see um yeah how much and how dependent they are on on holger runa but um yeah great uh great victory this weekend over india it was also another great victory for great britain away in colombia now this 
Chris, to me, screamed potential banana skin because GB were going in as the favourites. I don't think Colombia's top singles player, Daniel Galan, was able to play. So GB came through 3-1. And I guess, for me, the, the, the main question here is Dan Evans because he lost the opening singles tie. He's been given a bit of chat on how if he played doubles, he'd be great at it. And he was thrust into that moment um, with Neil Skupski against Cabal and Farah, who are pretty handy, you know, doubles specialists. And they duly delivered 6-4, six, 6-4. Four, six, four, and that really turned the tie into, into GB's favour when, yeah, on day one, both the singles matches were split. Yeah, he was saving himself for the dubs. That's what I think. You know, he talked a lot of talk. He needed to get a little bit of um, extra help when it came to um, uh, managing the pressureless balls. And I think having kind of a, a doubles expert such as Skupski really does help. And I reckon a pressureless ball being taken out of the air is easier than letting it bounce. So maybe that was the key to success was a decent <laughs> serve and then a volley. But um, but no, that seemed like a pivotal, a pivotal match in the tie. And to be honest, I'm quite pleased that Evans did get that doubles because I do think we've been making poor selections when it's come to the doubles and you've got to choose the right pair. It's got to be about the chemistry and for example, if Joe Salisbury and Neil Skupski both prefer the same side of the, of the mm. doubles court, that's not that's not that's not a pair that I would recommend in that sense. Um, and if Dan Evans and Skupski play well together, why would you not put them together again? I mean, there could very well be potential of who's to say we could not have like a Nori Draper in the singles, and and Evans comes in with Skupski as the as the doubles team potentially. I think what's great at the moment is that we've got potential different combinations to play with i know joe joe salisbury um has been having back issues recently so it's great to have this strength in depth and um it's great to see them make their way through to the finals another team who did that were usa i think they were actually the first to go through um really easy victory um they went in as heavy favorites against uzbekistan away i was interested in this tie chris i think you were too because tommy paul played it um and there was a lot of issues i remember last time with with usa and particularly their doubles rajiv ram wasn't happy with you know the you know the selections Uh, what did you very quickly what did you make of this tie and the first of all the fact that tommy paul played and also that actually Rajiv Ram finally got to play on the, in, as part of the doubles pairing. Yeah, I think it's um, it shows the depth of US tennis. You know, they didn't have the top players playing, but they had a really comfortable victory. Mm. They had three rookies play for them. Yeah, I think. it's a good opportunity, I think. So uh, especially when you're a nation that has that many players in the top 50s we talked about. I mean, they could take their pick from any number to play this tie. So... I think it's great to see kind of Tommy Paul coming out of the semi-final run at um, the Australian Open and then leading a team. I think it's, it puts him in the perspective where he might have been in the shadows a little bit more. And this is... You you just think he was there though, just for the Olympics? I do think he was there for the Olympics. I also think, not trying to insult his intelligence, that he probably couldn't point to Uzbekistan on a map prior to going. Um, I think most of them <laughs> would be able to. They seemed a bit confused in some of the Instagram stories that I saw, but... On the Rajiv Ram point, I think he obviously thought he should have been selected last time. I think he should have been selected. Um, and, you know, he turned up, got the win. Um, we'll see him at the final. So, so you exactly, they're yeah, setting yeah. themselves up for um, a really competitive sort of finals. And there are some, some, some great teams that are, that are qualified. 
Yeah, I mean, we've got 16, our 16 finalists now, Australia, Canada, Chile, Croatia, Czech Republic, Finland, France, Great Britain, Italy, Korea Republic, Netherlands, Serbia, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, USA. We don't know where those group stages, all those group stages um, ties will take place. We do know that they'll be across four venues in September. We think that one of the venues is going to be at home in Great Britain, but the venue has not been confirmed yet i mean just before we finish this episode chris where would you like to see those four venues for these group stage matches be played and also for the finals as well i think it would be fun to put in some curveballs um mm. i think they should go to greece i i, I loved watching sisipas in a in a basketball arena turned tennis court um, in front of, well, they had like 12, 13,000 people. That was fantastic. It to was see. fantastic to see. But um, I don't know. Do you have to be, does it have to be played in one of the home countries? Oh, does it? Okay. I think that was a, a world group one match, but I yes, would love sorry, to yes, see you're right. maybe a career Republic could be a good one. No, they do have some tournament, a tournament there. <laughs> I also, I love an Italian tournament, you know, where will the floor come from? Who knows? Mm. Finland, what a curveball! Um, that could be good. But if I if I had to say who deserved the most, probably Croatia. They've had a lot of success, and I think it would be um, good to kind of have a, a big event there, or just divide the whole world map. You know, you could do Korea, Australia, throw in a Canada, and then head to Chile, and then um, really cause a minefield for just scheduling. Just give it all to GB. Yeah. Just put it all on my front doorstep in London. Um, no. Um, yes. No. We'll have to wait and see where that happens. We still also don't know where the, the Billie Jean King Cup finals are going to be. I feel like we're always we're always sort of waiting mid-season for these things to come in. But uh, we'll have to wait and see how that develops. But I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and review on apple podcasts or spotify you can also follow us on social media or email the show we are on facebook instagram and twitter at tennis weekly pod email the show at tennis pod at gmail.com or check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk and we are going to be back next Monday for our first proper tour catch-up post-Australian Open. It'll be me, Kim and Chris at Tennis Weekly HQ. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.